today um, we're talking about the subject of overcoming envy. Um, first, I want to examine um, a story about envy in action. And then to add context to the problem of envy, uh, we'll explore the theme of glory. So I'm going to connect these two things, and I'm hoping that you'll come with me on this journey. Um, and interestingly, I think today's Lord's Supper talk um, had a lot of parallel themes, which I'm really grateful for. Um, I think Steve picked up on some really important things, like the glory of Jesus as he's being arrested, which knocks people over when they come into his presence. And of course, the thief who asks Jesus that you know, when he comes into his glory, that he be remembered. And this speaks to something that's really deep inside of our hearts. Um, and without Jesus, it can put us, this desire for, for glory that only comes from God can set us on the wrong path and it can turn our hearts to envy and selfishness. So let's, let's pray and then, and then we'll go into the topic. Lord Jesus, um, all glory, all glory belongs to you. And we sin against you, Lord, in just so many ways. Lord, we envy one another. Please show us how to love one another and turn away from these other evil desires. Thank you for dying for our sins. And we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, like I said, I'm going to start with a story. And this story comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Two prostitutes living under the same roof each give birth to a son three days apart from each other. And tragically, one of the women rolls on her son in the night and suffocates him and he dies. While the other woman in the household was asleep, the woman who had accidentally killed her baby took her dead child and swapped out her dead child with the living child of the other woman in her household. And when the woman woke up, of course she believed that her child had died during the night until she saw her child, saw, saw the child in the, 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 the sunlight, the morning light, and she recognized that this wasn't her baby at all. And she realizes what, what has happened. So the two women go to court. They approach King Solomon in all of his wisdom to decide uh, the truth, decide on the truth, make a judgment. Now Solomon is given no real evidence to judge by. He doesn't know who the true mother is of this baby. It is one woman's word against the other. There was nobody else living in the household of these two prostitutes, nobody else who bore witness to whose child was who, except these two women. As a wise judge, Solomon pressure tests the two women so they might expose their hearts. 
The king says, bring me a sword. So they bring him a sword. And the king commands the living baby to be cut in two. One half of the baby to be given to each woman. Each of the women. And the first woman, she pleads with the king. And out of love, she sacrifices her rights to the child by offering him to the other woman so that the baby might be kept alive. Don't kill him, she begs the king. And the other woman, the second woman, she is satisfied by the king's verdict. Because if she can't have her baby, then neither should this other woman. Cut him in two, she says. Then the king makes his true ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman, the one who pleaded for his life. She is the true mother. Now, Solomon, in his wisdom, causes the ugliness of envy to come bubbling up to the surface in this woman's heart. Envy is ugly. It's really, really ugly. It's unpleasant to experience. Yet, somehow, our hearts are constantly lured to, um, to what envy offers. We are just as susceptible to envying one another as we are to lust. And yet, envy gives us no pleasure, no gratification at all. It makes us more miserable. An envious person, an envious person is a little bit like a lifelong smoker. Someone that, while they're in the process of, of smoking, of lighting up a cigarette, they look at what's between their fingers and they go, I hate these things. And they continue to smoke anyway. As Shakespeare puts it, it is the green-eyed monster that doth mock the meat it feeds on. It grosses us out. It grosses us, us out when we experience it in ourselves. And it grosses everyone else out when they see it in us. But envy is easy to hide. You can keep envy hidden in your heart for a very, very long time. But of course, it always will bubble to the surface. And quite often it bubbles to the surface um, in our malice, in our hatred for other people. Now normally we use the words envy, jealousy and covetousness interchangeably, but there are important differences between all of these. And I think it's important that we define them. Because you might suffer from one of these more than another. And it's helpful to know, well, what is the difference? Which, which is... Uh, so, first of all, I will talk about jealousy. Jealousy is a feeling of discomfort or anger that, some, that something that you have is being threatened. Um, and this means that jealousy can be something that is righteous. God is a jealous God. We read in Exodus. He does not want us worshipping other gods instead of him. 
So jealousy, jealousy is a little bit different. When we covet, it is a desire for what someone else possesses. So our, our covetousness can be satisfied simply by acquiring something that somebody else has. But envy is a little different. I think envy is especially insidious. Because envy is disliking a person for having what we ourselves want. It is a feeling of ill will for another person who we perceive has more blessings or is superior to ourselves in some sort of way. And a lot of the times we might be envious of, of a person who has a certain quality that we ourselves know we'll never be able to have and so we decide we're going to hate them for it. You know, quite often we reference um, like Australian tall poppy syndrome. It's something that people talk about all the time and it, it gets blamed for all sorts of things. But at its root, Australians, I think, can just be very envious people. That's really what it is. I want to bring you down because I envy something, a certain quality that you have. So I'm going to cut you off. And we see this happening in, in friendship groups all the time. Envy is it's a huge problem in schools, amongst peers, where people begin to dislike one another because they realize that, oh, this person's got this quality and this person's growing up faster than me. And, oh, my best friend who I've grown up with since prep, well, now they've obviously got this new skill. They're a really great singer. I'll never be as good a singer as them. And so we say things to try and just cut people down, find the negative angle on the good things about our friends, our family, our peers. Often the things we become most envious of are things we already possess to some measure. Um, Coming from theatre, coming from acting... I can tell you there are so many actors, so so many performers who go to see plays just so they can make sure that there's nobody else in the play that's as good as they are. They just want to suss out, well, okay, like how good are you really and how do I compare? Is there anything here that's a threat to me and my talent and my career? In, in arts circles, envy thrives. It's everywhere. It's a huge driving force for so many people. And theatre critics, well, they're the worst. They think that published reviews are a safe place to vent their displeasure at other people's talent and ability. And we get sucked right into it. Oh, I won't go see that movie or I won't go see that play because of this, what this critic has said. But what kind of person makes a career out of criticizing the talent of other people? An envious person. A person who thrives and feeds on uh, their envy. There's a really great little quote which really stuck in my mind in summarizing the problem of envy. And it comes from Harold. 
One, two, one, two. Uh, Harold G. Coffey, he says, envy is the art of counting other people's blessings instead of your own. All right. Um, what do we do with these things quite often all day when we're bored? And then we get home from work or we get home from school and we don't want to think. So we open up Instagram and we're following what everybody else is doing in their lives. And we know that it's it's a it's a pretend uh, it's a false Example of what other people's lives really look like, but that doesn't stop us from following these people, looking at their photos, envying the lives that they have, wishing that you know, something about this person, the way they look, or the places that they go, or the things that they do for work, or the clothes that they wear, could be a little part of my life. So, why do we envy? Why do we envy people? It seems that a lot of it has to do with glory. Now, I don't expect anyone to make that connection straight away. This was a bit of a journey that I had to go on in looking at this topic um, as to what what on earth does glory have to do with, with the problem of envy. In our sinfulness, we all desire glory for ourselves. In our pride, we place ourselves in the position of God. We want to sit on his throne. We want to have his glory, his radiance as something that comes from within. We don't want that to be something that comes from God. Envy then, envy, when I see something in someone else and I hate them for it, it's because I'm actually seeing an element of glory in that person And it forces me to realize that I am not the originator of everything that is glorious. Everything that is good does not come from me. And there's nothing that I can do to change that. There's nothing that I can do to control that. And so instead, I'm going to hate that person for what is great about them because I don't like the fact that something good is coming from them and not from me. Glory is intrinsically belonging to God. It is part of his nature and it is not something that we can possess or uh, produce for ourselves. Now, people, people have a sort of glory, but it is, it is not our own glory. There's a really great writer, her name's uh, Tilly Dillahaye, um, and she writes this book called Seeing Green, and I really recommend it, especially if envy is something that you're working through. Um, and here's what she calls it. She calls, she calls the glory of people borrowed glory. Reflecting God's glory in the world is our basic function as his image bearers. So there is an element of God's glory that shows up in our own lives because we are the image bearers of God. Our function is to reflect his glory. We are stewards, managers of his glorious gifts. Now, we've all had different experiences of being in the presence of glory 
And it's when it's the sort of thing that happens when you step into an elevator and uh, the CEO of your company is in there. And you only ever get to see them at some of the the big meetings that happen once a year. And you don't really know what to say. Um, You've got a few seconds with them. What do I say? What do I do? Do I talk to them at all? There's an experience of glory that you you have in that moment. Maybe you step into the same elevator and your favorite movie star is in there. And they have this aura that seems to radiate off them and it kind of affects our bodies in a strange way and we're not able to speak properly and we don't know what to do. We, we, we feel so small in their presence. That's an experience of, of glory in a small way. Um, one of my favorite stories that uh, my father-in-law John tells is when he was in Los Angeles and he was in the lobby of a... Um, of a hotel and he starts speaking to this, this this woman and they're just waiting both waiting in the same lobby so they just strike up a conversation and they're talking for about an hour and a half and at the end of the conversation um, somebody working in the hotel goes up to him and says do you have any idea who you were talking to and John goes oh, I've got no enlighten me who is it that was Jennifer Lawrence Don't you know who Jennifer Lawrence is? You know, Hunger Games? She's like the biggest movie star right now. But of course, John had no idea. Maybe maybe you've experienced a little bit of glory by sitting next to, um, in school, uh, the boy or girl that you like. All of a sudden, you're in close proximity with someone that you've got your eye on. And you have that feeling of, wow, Wow, I'm in the presence of something special. Maybe you've experienced a little bit of glory in holding a newborn baby. There's something glorious about that. There are so many ways that people reflect the glory of God in our lives. And it has an effect on us. It has an effect on our bodies. Now, we aren't all given the same amount of borrowed glory. We don't all have the same number of gifts, talents, advantages, appealing qualities. Someone will always be more attractive than you. Somebody will always be smarter than you, healthier than you, funnier than you. And some people just seem to be good at everything, which is frustrating. It's not fair. But God seems less concerned with fairness than we are. In the parable of the talents, the master entrusts an uneven amount of property to each one of his servants based on their individual abilities. And to us, it doesn't seem fair that one servant should have five talents while another only receives one talent. Why not just give an equal amount to all of them at the start? Yet Jesus puts importance not on how much they have to begin with, but what they do with the few or many gifts that they've been given. Jesus is concerned with our stewardship, how we manage the little that we we are given. Here's how... Peter, Apostle Peter, speaks of glory 
and putting off evil desires like envy. And he talks to, in First Peter, he talks to an audience of persecuted, suffering Christians. Now, interestingly, in our story about Solomon and the two women, suffering is what led to the act of, of envy in the first place. And ultimately, malice. Her attitude is one of, if I can't have my child, then neither should you. And Peter speaks directly to the suffering and persecuted Christian, and he says, put off envy. Put off envy. To to the envious Christian, Peter would say, in short, and we're going to explore this together, do not envy... Instead, look to your future glory. Now, I don't have a small bite-sized passage to give you that leads to that conclusion. I think it really comes from looking at 1 Peter, which is directed to suffering Christians, where Peter says, don't look to your current suffering, put off your evil desires, and look instead to your future glory. But I'm going to pick up some, some passages throughout 1 Peter, Um, that I'll invite you to follow along with me in um, so that we can sort of pick up on this this theme of putting off off envy and instead um, looking toward our future glory. Now, in 1 Peter, if you've got your phone or your Bible with you, I think it really will be helpful if you you read along a little bit because I'm going to be moving through a few different passages. But 1 Peter chapter 1 Um, And I'll I'll just read from 3 to 7, and I'm going to pick up on a couple of themes that we pick up from here. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." I read ahead a little bit more than I meant to. Um, But in heaven, here's what Peter's saying, in heaven, we have an inheritance that does not spoil or fade. Our inheritance in heaven that we look forward to by faith is the reward for Christians. And any suffering or experience of unfairness that we have will ultimately result in praise glory and honor when Christ returns. Therefore, the glory we crave right now, which sometimes 
you know, when in our sinful state leads us to envying other people and thinking that we are the source of everything that is good. So therefore, the glory that we crave, well, that's actually a future reward. For those in Jesus, there will be a time when Jesus, in all his glory, he looks on us with favor as his good and faithful servants. There is no greater glory than God's acceptance of us as pure and unblemished creatures. Our desire for glory is from God. But if we look in the wrong places, if we only look at people's borrowed glory and think that that is the source of all glory, that that's the problem, the problem is that good things come from other people and I'm not the source of all glory, then that's going to lead to malice and ultimately ultimately murder. But if instead we look forward to our future glory, our treasures in heaven, we have the assurance, we have a, a joy in the anticipation of our inheritance, of having Jesus face us with his glory and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Although we have not received our full inheritance and glory, we we presently experience a glorious joy at the knowledge of our salvation. There is a glory that people have. Now, let's have a look at chapter 1. Um, verse 23 and I'll go to 25 for you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the Lord endures forever and this is the word that was preached to you. Okay, so, um, so there is a glory that people have, but it's a temporary and it's a fragile glory that's like a flower in a field. It's beautiful one day, but then a frost comes and shrivels it up. And if we desire to possess glory that is not ours, but only a reflection of God's glory, we will live in shame when that glory fades. You know, it's a little bit like a cat um, chasing a, uh, a laser pointer, right? I've never done that to a cat. I've never had a cat, so I've never had an opportunity. Um, but, you know, you shine a laser pointer on the wall and the cat thinks that's something that I can grab. And it runs up and it puts its paw on the laser pointer and then it's just confused and dazed because it doesn't understand why it can't catch uh, the toy. Well, it's a little bit like that. If we're chasing temporary glory, we're never going to get what we want. Let's keep going in uh, chapter 2, in the first three verses. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. So, because there's a glory that's temporary, don't pursue it. Instead, look to the word of the Lord, which endures forever. All right, so that's, that's where we're putting our hope. So chapter 2, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. 
Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right. So therefore, because people glory, so borrowed glory, is temporary like a flower in a field, and the glory found in Jesus is forever, throw away the evil desires that you have, like envy. Instead of craving the borrowed glory, the temporary glory, the the product that is a flower in a field, seen in other people, crave the unspeakable, glorious joy at the knowledge of your salvation. Crave spiritual milk. We must crave the future glory of our inheritance in heaven, not the temporary glory of our present state. All right, let's, let's go now to the end of Peter's letter. Um, toward the end, so chapter 4. Have a look at uh, verse 7 to 11. Because I think this gives us a bit of insight as to, well, what do we do? If we're not envying each other, what do we do? Here's what Peter says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Love, of course, is the alternative to envy and any kind of sin. And whatever gift we have, whatever little talent, whether it be one or five, that God has given us, whatever measure of borrowed glory we have in our lives, we should use it in love to serve one another. As Peter says, God's grace takes various forms. So should I envy the grace that my brother or sister has received when I don't have the same measure or the same type of grace that they have? No, because it's not theirs to begin with. It's merely a reflection of God in their lives, for they are the image bearer of God like I am an image bearer of God. And I should be content then with the gifts that I have received so that I can love and serve other people. So therefore, when I see something amazing, whether it be someone's good looks, someone's talent, somebody's family, somebody's children, whatever good I see in someone else, my proper response should be gratitude. Gratitude for the grace that God has given them so that they, with their gifts and their talents, can also love and serve God's people. 
And ultimately, this is, this is the end of what we read just here in, um, uh, in verse 11. To him, that is to, to God, to Jesus, is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's a little summary on what we've explored. Here's a little summary for people like me that, that get lost really easily. Um, one, we receive Christ's glory in our inheritance. We, we are one with Christ Jesus. And the glory that we need, the glory that we crave, comes from Christ in the end, at the end of all of this. Two, the temporary glory of people will pass like flowers in the field, so don't envy it. Three, love and serve each other with the gifts God has given us, knowing that all glory belongs to him. Here's some concluding thoughts. So, so far we've explored the destructive power of envy and its roots in our desire for personal glory. And the story of King Solomon and the two women serves as a reminder of how envy can distort the heart and lead us toward destruction and malice and hating our brothers and sisters. Now, through Peter, through his writings in 1 Peter, we've discovered that true glory belongs to God alone and our inheritance is in heaven. Our future reward far surpasses any temporary glory that we may see in ourselves or in other people. And as we await the fullness of our inheritance, we can experience a glorious joy in the knowledge of our salvation in the here and now. Um, I remember being four years old and experiencing a sort of glorious joy when dad told me, when we were still living in Tasmania, that we were going to uh, meet Batman. I still remember that feeling of glorious joy. Batman was my superhero. He was my guy. I dressed up like Batman. And I was super excited and joyful at the prospect of going to movie world and, visit and seeing Batman for myself. Superheroes are a sort of glory that little boys experience. That's something that they get excited about. That's something that they look forward to. But that's only a small example of the glorious joy that we look forward to in meeting Jesus face to face. To overcome envy, we must shift our focus from comparing ourselves to others and craving their borrowed glory. Instead, we should embrace the gifts that God has given us, even if they appear to be less than what our neighbor has. Each of us has a unique measure of talents entrusted to us by our Heavenly Father to be used in love for one another.